your Bibles, I would like you to please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Gospel of Mark chapter 5. We are continuing to make our way, work our way, teach our way, learn our way through this Gospel of Mark. It is, as I've shared before, it is the most sequential of Gospels. It is the shortest Gospel. You can read this this entire Gospel in maybe 45 minutes. It's powerful, and I have to tell you, as I have been preparing and studying and anticipating these times, I have learned things. I've read through Mark, so I don't know how many times, probably 40 or 50 times, but I, I, I'm learning things that I've never learned before, and so I, I trust that it's the same with you as we look at the, the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Well, last week, looked at two miraculous events that, that began and ended with a man whose daughter was dying. Now, again, many of you were gone last week because of some horrible, horrible weather. And uh, if, if, you, if you say, well, I want to hear that message that, that encompasses those two miracles, then you can do that. Just go onto the website. All of that is there. You can listen to it whenever uh, works out best for you. But it's, it's, the, it's the message about these two different miracles, two miraculous events here in Mark chapter 5. This father has a daughter who is dying. We don't know exactly what the disease is. It appears that it came up rather suddenly, but it's extremely urgent. The mother stays home with the daughter, and the father goes in search of Jesus. At some point, he had heard he was a a synagogue official. He was a leader in the congregation there in in Capernaum. And and he he somehow knows about Jesus' miracle-working power. Maybe he was there some months before when Jesus worked a couple of miracles in that same community. We don't know exactly how he learned, but he knew that Jesus had power to heal. And so he goes in search of Jesus. He goes to where Jesus is. I'm thinking because he was a synagogue official, and Judaism, of course, is extremely important in this area, that, that people kind of deferred to him. So he comes to Jesus, explains the problem, and Jesus begins to go with, Jairus is his name, begins to go with him to where the sick, terribly sick child is. As they're making their way, I'm sure the father, with some urgency, wanting to get there very quickly, a woman who was also herself extremely ill approaches Jesus. She had been ill for 12 years. Uh, It was a a disease uh, with her blood that would cause her to be unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so she was reluctant to go and speak with Jesus or to have him lay his hands on her because that would make him ceremonially unclean. But she thinks to herself, she too has heard about Jesus' power, and she thinks to herself, if I can just get close enough just to touch his clothing, that will be enough and I will be healed. That was an incredible step of faith so she makes her way to where jesus is and again you remember he's walking with this synagogue official to his home to heal this sick child she reaches out she brushes the end of his garment she doesn't actually touch him and in that moment healing power coursed out of jesus and into this woman and she's instantly healed jesus stops 
asks who touched him. He turns to her and, and he, uh, he, uh, 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 he, he gives, extends peace to her. And, and, he, and he says, your faith has made you, has made you well. And they, they talk perhaps for a few moments. And you understand what's happening here. This father is like, let's, let's get going. But just as they're about to resume, they're on their way. Someone comes up to them and tells them that the child has died. We'll read it here in a moment. This was all last week. But they make their way to where the little girl is. And eventually this little girl is healed. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful, actually, two stories. But this morning, unlike last week, I share not so much the story, but a subject within the story. There's something that I want you to see here that is very easily overlooked, but it's, it, it affects every one of us. Now, now, someone who, who has a dying daughter, may not, you may not relate to that. Or perhaps a disease that has lasted for 12 years or more, as it was with the woman, you may not relate to that. But the subject that Jesus addressed, or the subject that Jesus responded to, relates to every one of us here. The subject is death. The subject is death. Mark chapter 5, verse 35, picks up where the woman has just been healed, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I want you to, for a moment, to, to place yourself in that position. What was it like for Jairus to hear this? Now we know that other people heard it as well. There was a crowd of people around it. The woman who had just been healed, she heard it as well. But I want you to put yourself in the position of Jairus and wonder what was it like for him when he heard that? What went through his mind when he heard the word dead? See that word there? Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. What went through his mind? Was it, I never said goodbye. I was in such a hurry to go find Jesus. I never said goodbye. Or maybe it was something like, I'll never see her smile again. Or maybe it was, I'll never put my arms around her and feel her put her arms around my neck again. We know from later on the little girl is 12 years old, which was in that culture uh, kind of about the time that she became officially or culturally a woman. They married young, sometimes as young as 14, 15 years old. And I wonder if this father thought to himself, I'll never be there at her wedding. When he heard those words, your daughter is dead, it's, it must have been such a sobering, horrible, awful moment for this father. There is something. I have one daughter, and uh, there is something very special I have found and something very precious between daddies and daughters. And so as I'm reading this, as I'm studying this, I'm, I'm putting myself there and I'm thinking, 
I, I can, I can kind of relate a little bit to this. I don't know what it's like to lose a daughter, but I, I put myself in that place and I wonder how, how that must have been so challenging. His daughter was dead. See, death is like that, isn't it? Death is like that. When someone close to us dies, and so many of you have experienced that, so many of us have experienced that, when someone close to us dies, it means we'll have no more conversations. Silly or serious, either one. When someone close to us dies, there are no more new or special moments, just memories. When someone close to us dies, there will be no more opportunity to say, I love you. When someone close to us dies, there's no longer opportunity to go to them and say, please forgive me or I forgive you. See, death, is, death does that. It's, it's, so, it's so closing. It's so ending. There's so much no more when it comes to death. No more. Recently, I, uh, recently I read a book written by a man who's, who was driving a family car, a van, as I recall. He was driving a van with his entire family in it, three children, his wife, and his, his mother. And they were driving. They had just come back from an evening of ministry. They were involved in ministry in a certain area of the U.S. And on their way back that night, they were struck by a drunk driver. And in one moment, in one awful and horrible moment, this man's wife and his mother and his daughter were all killed. His sons, uh, two of his children were severely injured and he walked away with, with not even a scratch on his body. In one horrific moment, his life dramatically changed. And, and in those moments following, that man began to experience things that he'd never experienced before. He experienced the pain of death and the meaning of no more. Reflecting on his loss, Jerry Sitzer is his name. He wrote this, Catastrophic loss is like undergoing an amputation of our identity. It is the amputation of the self we once were or wanted to be, the self we can no longer be or become. When I read that line, I thought, you know, that is a descriptive picture of what, of what death is, what death does. It, it, it's like losing a part of our body, and some of you know this even far more than I do. It's such a catastrophic loss. It is, it is this amputation of identity. It's not just losing someone, it's losing a part of our life. It's not just losing someone we love, but it's losing something that we were or are. Now, the circumstances are different, of course, between the story that I just shared and, and here in Mark 5, but, but here this, this man named Jairus began experiencing his own catastrophic loss. This man began experiencing his own amputation of identity. In that, in that split second, when he heard those words, when he heard those words that your daughter is dead, when he hears those, suddenly all of these things, his, his one of, big part of his purpose in life, not, not only did his daughter die, but that died as well. 
But I want you to look at Jesus' response in verse 36. It says this, Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. But before that, it says Jesus ignored what they said. Now that's an interesting response. Maybe you never thought of Jesus ignoring anyone. And usually he didn't. But on this occasion, he ignored the people who brought the message. Some translations read it this way. Jesus paid no attention to it. Jesus paid no attention to what they said. And and, and please notice here that Jesus did not try to silence them. He, He didn't look at them and say, button it or be quiet silence, peace be still, or something. He didn't do that. He did not become angry at them. He he didn't turn on them and say, how dare you say that to this man? Nothing like that. No, he simply disregarded their words. That's That's how another translation puts it. He disregarded what they said. So, So they resumed their journey and they make their way back now to, to Jairus' house. And when they arrive there, you understand now this sense of urgency. Maybe the urgency is still there, but now it's Jairus' purpose to comfort his wife, this little girl's mother. When they arrive at the house, the funeral proceedings have already begun. Word has gotten out and the neighbors and the friends have gathered together. And it says in verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. Again, I, I want you to, I, I draw your attention to this very interesting response. Jesus said, the child is not dead, but is asleep. Now, I'm sure that they had done everything. They had perhaps checked for a pulse or, or you know, put a piece of glass or something in front of them. If you've been around a, a dead body, you know that it, it, it takes on a, a, an extremely different look when, when death takes over. There was no breathing going on. They knew that this child was dead, but Jesus said the child is not dead, but is asleep. And then it says the people laughed at him. Now you understand, the laughter that they had was not because Jesus said something humorous, but because Jesus said something incredulous. It's almost as if you know these people who just one moment before are crying and wailing and weeping. Now it says, they go, huh, you're kidding. Why would you say that? Not humor. But they were incredulous. Why would you say that? And then, doing what he had done earlier, Jesus essentially ignored or disregarded their laughter. Again, Jesus didn't rebuke them. How dare you laugh at me? Don't you know who I am? The Son of God. He did not not instruct them. He did not not take a, a teachable moment. We would maybe regard it that way, but Jesus didn't. He did not take this moment and say, just let me let me instruct you on something here. I have this greater perspective. 
She's about to be resurrected, so if you just be quiet, don't laugh. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't instruct them. He simply, the Bible says, removed them from the room and he went in. Now, we know what happened next. We looked at it at length in that last week. Within moments, within just moments, Jesus raised this little girl from the dead back to life. Glory to God. It's a wonderful miracle. One of three occasions in which Jesus, that it's recorded, there were probably many others, but one of three occasions in which Jesus resurrected someone from the dead. Now again, I've read this many times, and yet I've given little thought to Jesus' responses. But His responses... His responses here to the, the men who came up and said that your daughter is dead. His response to the people who, who couldn't believe that, that Jesus would say such a thing. And also on other occasions when Jesus encountered death, his responses show us that Jesus viewed and understood death in a different way than anyone else. And that's what I want you to get. Jesus viewed and he understood death in a way different than anyone else ever did or ever could. You see, to Jesus, death was like sleep. To Jesus, death was not this dreary finality or this this wretched ending. To Jesus, death was not something that there's no way back or there's no way over or there's no way through. To Jesus, death wasn't something that was so horrible, so overwhelming, so so final. To Jesus, it was something temporary. To Jesus, death was something that anticipated an awakening. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Now there was no heartbeat. There was no fogging of the mirror. There was no breath. But Jesus saw it differently. Jesus knew that people grieved. Jesus knew that people were hurting. He did not disregard these people's weeping and wailing. He did not take it lightly. He understood the separation of death, but he simply saw it differently. Jesus saw death in a different perspective than anyone else could at that time. I think, in fact, I I think that Jesus' understanding and his use of the word sleep here in regards to death had was so this this story, which you understand would be very quickly repeated. Eventually, it was written down by Mark and for, for, for us and for you know, countless others. But you can understand how quickly word of this miracle got around. I mean, it flew fast. Did you hear what happened in Capernaum yesterday? A little girl was raised from the dead. And not only was she raised from the dead, Jesus before that said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And then he went in to this child who was obviously dead and he woke her up. I believe this story This event was so profound and so powerful to the early church that the first believers, that first century believers, uh, used the same expression to describe the death of a believer in Christ. Like in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, where Paul wrote this, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of them, like the rest of men who have no hope. 
He uses this this expression. I believe this story here in Mark chapter 5 was so powerful and so profound that they began to use this terminology. Not because people had not expired, but because they wanted to understand that death is not a permanent thing, that death is a temporary thing. That death is, is, is not something that is final, but death is something that is transitional. That's what death is. First Christians, those first Christians also understood the temporary nature of death. You see, they knew, and we know today, that if someone surrenders their life to Christ, if someone comes to Jesus and, 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 and gives their life to Him, who acknowledges their sin and confesses their sin, and, and they, they come to Christ, we know that when a person does that, the, that when they die, when their body shuts down, the eternal part of them is released from their body and carried into the presence of Jesus Christ. This is why, this is why Paul wrote here that, that, that they have fallen asleep, but we, we grieve, he says, we grieve, but we do not grieve like those who do not believe. those people, as Jesus did, and as those early Christians, and so many of us do, we understand that that we fall asleep here, but we wake up there. When the body shuts down here, on the other side, there's an awakening. Death is not final, but death is transitional. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that when a Christian becomes absent from their body, they become present with the Lord. There have been many occasions where I have visited someone in the hospital room or in a nursing home or even in their home, and within moments, they've passed away. I remember one time I visited someone in a hospital, prayed with them, and and I knew that they, we knew that they were near death. The family had gathered, and I got in the elevator, and I went down to the first floor of the hospital here in town, and, and by the time I got to the first floor, their, their loved one had passed away. And, but in that moment, the eternal part of that person, their spirit, went to be with Jesus Christ. There was a, there was a sleep here, but there's an awakening there. Because death is not simply the end of life here, it is the beginning of life there. And unless we are living when Jesus takes his people through the rapture, then every one of us here today will experience death. There will be no exceptions. Every one of us, every one of us will die. And before we die, we will likely see family and friends and loved ones also pass away. Some of you who are up in years and I don't say this humorously, but one of the first things you do is check the newspaper to see which one of your friends passed away. And that's a reality. This man, this, this man named Jairus, he, it, was, it was so unnatural because we want the natural order of things to be where the parent dies long before the child. Of course, we know sometimes, oftentimes, sadly, that is not the case. But death is a reality. And death is difficult. Death is so difficult. It is painful beyond words. 
I know that well and so do you. So do so many of you. It is difficult beyond words. But death, hear me, death becomes infinitely more bearable when we know that there is something better that awaits us. Death is so difficult. But it becomes infinitely more bearable when we know that something better awaits us. See, that's why we can say with confidence what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In other words, when we have this perspective that death is, yes, it's painful. Yes, death is, is ending. Yes, death means that we will no longer be able to interact with that person the way that we did. But it's temporary. Because if they are in Christ, and if we are in Christ, there's going to be this awesome, incredible, more wonderful than words can describe reunion when together we gather in heaven. It's temporary. If there's sleep, there's going to be an awakening. If there's death for the belief, if there's death, there's going to be eternal life with Christ. So to the follower of Jesus Christ, again, we we get this statement, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. It still hurts, it's still painful, but the enemy no longer holds total control over death because Jesus, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and I am life. And yet, to a person who does not know Christ, Few things are more disturbing than death. To the, fo- to the person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, few things are more terrifying and disturbing than death. Disturbing because it seems so final. It seems so hopeless. So terrifying in the uncertainty of what happens after death. I've shared with you before how as a, as a pastor I've stood over I'm sure I could count the number, but it's I, I, hundreds of gravesides. I've stood over hundreds of graves, and every time there is grief, every time there is deep sadness, almost every time there are tears, and yet the response of the follower of Jesus Christ is markedly different than the response of the person who is not in Christ. Because while the person who's in Christ is sad and heartbroken and they feel the intense loss, there's also this great anticipation that some great and glorious day it's going to be different. And yet to the person who does not follow Jesus Christ, who does not have that assurance within, there's this separation, there's this, this remorse, there's this deep, intense sadness. I'll never See them again. How horrible and terrifying. Because then there's also that thought of what will happen when I die. One of the identifying markers, one of the identifying markers that we are in Christ is that we know that something infinitely better awaits us. So this morning, if if you don't know, if you're, if the thought of death is something that is terrifying to you. Now, let me, I'll be honest with you. I don't think any of us are in a hurry. We all want to go to heaven. We just don't like the death that gets us there. 
while none of us are necessarily in a hurry, there's a peace that comes when, when we know Jesus Christ, when we know that He's dwelling within us, there's this peace that accompanies it that we know, we know, it's not we hope for, we know that when we die, we're going to go to be with Jesus. There's a tremendous peace that comes with that. But if that peace is not there, that may reveal something about your walk with Christ or maybe your lack of a walk with Christ. If death is, if death is, is something that is horrible and terrifying and, and, and something just from which you don't even want to think about, then that may reveal something about where you are with Him. So I ask you this question. If that is you this morning, are you ready for death? I ask that for everyone. Are you ready for death? And by that, I don't mean funeral arrangements, but eternal arrangements. I know that you can prepare for a funeral. There's forms that you can fill out and and have it all ready so that when you die, it's just they pull out the file and, and away we go. I'm not talking about funeral arrangements. I'm talking about eternal arrangements. And sadly, I have known people who will devote more time in preparation for a weekend getaway than they will prepare for eternity. And so stating again what I mentioned a few moments ago, every one of us, unless we happen to be living when Jesus comes for His own, takes away His church through rapture, unless we happen to be living when the second coming of Christ occurs, every one of us will die. Are you ready? Are you ready? Before we go any further, I'm not quite done yet, but before we go any further, let me just say you can be ready. You can be ready. You can have that peace with God and the accompanying peace that comes with it knowing that when I die, I will be with Him. This morning, if that is you, if that is, if that is where you are at and you're wondering about that eternity, that uncertainty, I want to pray with you. So Lord, right now, even in this place and at this time, we come to you. And Father, for that person who who doesn't know their eternal destination, for that person who does not does not yet know and have that peace that that accompanies a a life with you. For that person who just dreads even the thought of death, I pray that in these moments right now, they will surrender their life to you. So that even by simply praying very quietly, Lord, come into my heart forgive my sins. I surrender my life to you. You are the answer to the questions of my life. You are my only hope. Come in 
and save me. Change me as I now surrender my life to you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe that I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that prayer, or if you make that prayer, then Jesus will also give you that accompanying peace that comes so that when your time here on earth, this life is over, your life there will begin. So this father who is grieved for we don't know how long, maybe only just moments, takes Jesus. They see what's going on. Jesus pushes all of the the weeping and the wailing aside. He ignores their laughter. They go in and Jesus raises the little girl from the dead. And other than saying they were astonished, Mark 5 does not record the reaction of the father or the mother when their daughter was resurrected and they were reunited. But it must have been amazing. It must have been amazing. Remember this, Father? I ask you to imagine what was going through his mind. What do you think was going through his mind when all of a sudden his little girl, his, her eyes fluttered and she got up and she started walking around? What do you think his response was? Well, it's good to see you're doing so well. No. This is a father. He jumped up and he threw his arms around that little girl. And I think he may have damaged her by squeezing her so tightly. I would have. So would you. That mother who, that mother who was there when she died, that, that mother who had seen her take that last breath, that spasm, that mother let out a scream that was, was joy and surprise and shock all mixed together. And I'm pretty sure she cried, but they were different than the tears just a short time before. And don't you think that's going to be a little bit what it's like someday in heaven? When we see those who've gone before us and we're going to say, I've missed you. Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad you woke up and me too. Because of Jesus. Jesus said, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. For those of you who are in Christ, you lost a love, beloved family member or friend years ago or weeks ago. What a great reunion that is going to be. Death is powerful. Death is real. Death is sorrowful. But it's temporary. 
They fell asleep here. They woke up there. Someday we're going to fall asleep here and we're going to wake up there. And someday even these bodies are going to be resurrected. But this spirit is eternal because Jesus Christ makes us eternal. Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. How many are looking forward to that day? Glory to God. And until then, He is a God of comfort. He is the God of peace. And He is the God who heals those horrible amputations. Life will never be the same until we see them face to face but we serve a healer who comforts. We serve a healer healer who guides, keeps, and directs and gives purpose. We serve a Savior who understands death like we do not yet, but we will. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for you. I've stood with many of you beside a casket I've come to many of your homes, many, so many of your homes, when we find out that there has been a death. We have cried together. We have remembered together. And by God's grace, we are rejoicing together because of eternal life. So now, Lord, as we make our way out of this place, We don't know what the future holds, but we do know that until you return, death will be visited upon us again and again. There are those here in this room that may not make it another week. Lord, I don't pray that to bring us fear. It's just the reality of things. There are loved ones that are so precious to us because of distance we may never see them again this side of heaven but if we are in you and they are in you then there will be a reunion that beats all reunions until then Lord give us strength in our pain give us healing in our grief give us comfort in our sorrow Give us hope and assurance of a tremendous awakening. May we live, Lord, with the knowledge and the ever-present awareness that there are many we know who are not ready, who do not have peace with God. who may be ready for any number of things but are not ready to face eternity. Would you help us, use us, so that they too will know? Would you guard these people? Would you keep these people? And would you change our perspective on death? Would you ease our comfort 
as we face it, knowing falling asleep here means waking up there. Bless my brothers and sisters as we go our way now in your power and in your glory. In Jesus' name, if you believe in him, say amen. Amen. God bless you.